It was a fun combo, man. It was Bro, good. That was so fun. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is Frontier Church's podcast where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, Cole and I, this is Casey, talk about the season of Pentecost. We want to fill you with nine different pictures of what's happening at Pentecost in Acts 2. We love you, and we hope this podcast helps you. Worship local, guys. Hi, Casey. Thanks for being here, man. Well, you're welcome. Back by high demand from our church. I told you I got really positive feedback uh, the last time you did you were say on. That. You did say that. Good positive feedback. My favorite text was just a screenshot from Jaron Moore okay. of the podcast Between You and Me that said, more please. Okay. Well, thank <laughs> so, you, Jaron. So, Jaron, here. Here's more. You're, yeah, here's more. Jaron Moore, welcome. here's more. Jaron Moore wants more. So, we are between a rock and a hard place right now, between Pentecost prep, week and mm-hmm. actual Pentecost Sunday. Yes. Not a rock in a hard place. It's a great place to be. It's well, actually a great place. Maybe I don't know a little why bit I said weird that. if you're the apostles because the ascension has just happened and you're like I mean your your church plan yeah. you're 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 planning yeah. your church plan at that point. It's all it's all strategizing and game planning. Yeah. I don't know if they expect what's going to happen. It's yeah. necessarily, necessarily the way they ex- it happens. So right, there's like a what, like a week and a half between Jesus's ascension, ascension. and Pentecost, right? Ten days, yeah. Okay, yeah. what do you think they were doing? I I read an author on this who yeah. had an opinion, but I mean, like based on a, the apostles' previous reactions to things, certainly I would assume it's better than just like after he's put to death before he resurrected, where they're like, the end is nigh, it's over, we lost. A lot of them lose hope, minus John. Who's gangster? Right. Whoops. Yeah. Um, I I imagine it's probably a lot more of a measured response because they did just see somebody raised from the dead, chill for forty days, yeah, and then like, you know, do the like the two step back into the sky, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. um, so I imagine <laughs> that they're a lot more calm and collected. They're a lot more put together, but it's still like, well, it's strategy time. Well, now he's gone again. Um, they're. I mean, we have it recorded in the Gospels. He tells them his spirit's going to come to aid them, and they're going to do greater things. Right. So th- yeah, that's fresh yeah, on yeah. their minds, too. But, I mean, like, in my head, like, you're you're a church planner. I, I bet a lot of the 10 days leading up to this after the Ascension are, okay, so now what? What does right. this look like? Right. Like, where do we go? He just got done saying, Peter, you're in charge. What does that look like? You know, Paul's not on the scene yet. Mm-hmm. So Paul's not not an apostle at this point. This is this is fresh after Easter. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I I often wonder. You know, one one scholar said that they were for those ten days probably just continuing to go back to their ordinary lives, but then getting back together and gathering and gathering and gathering and waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised them. And I think there's a high likelihood that that's probably true mm-hmm. and right. But I I wonder if you know, these are first century Jews. They had a deeply Jewish imagination that was shaped by the Old Testament. So yeah. I, I wonder if they knew or at least thought that the pouring outpouring of the Holy Spirit was going to happen on Pentecost. You know, you know, we'll probably actually get into that with with some sure. of the list of what you want to get to. Yeah. Uh, again, it's just like what the expectation of that outpouring even is. I don't think right. we'll be able to know that because we're uh, – blessed to not have to have waited for that at, at this point in time. There was no place between 
uh, belief and the outpouring of the spirit. There's like right. there's a window right here between belief and the outpouring of the spirit, where in our privilege in in the covenant we believe in, you know, it, it is a, a current. Hmm. So <laughs> we're like already in the deep end. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let, let, oh man, I keep I want to keep talking about this. Let's let's press pause on that really quick. Let's just go back to your sermon really quick because I think I got, yeah I got something I want to yeah. share with. I wanted to share with you. I yeah. was excited. Okay, but wonderful. May, maybe this can be a format uh, for the church, if for nothing else, into the entertainment of how my mind works. But maybe for some of you, um, maybe for some of you, this can be <laughs> there either. is entertainment in knowing how your mind works. <laughs> it can be a little different. Um, if 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 more than entertaining, maybe a format, something that you can practice too, because yeah, I love yeah. to read. I know you do too. A lot of right. my church loves to read. Associating a sermon with a piece of literature and doing it well is like very life-giving and mm. a very fun practice. And Cole yeah. was preaching. He's preaching. This is so Sunday. Last Sunday. Last this is Sunday. Pentecost prep week. We're getting prepared for Pentecost. You're in the OT. Yeah. Yep. Very beginning of the OT. We're talking about God's spirit over matter. So the hovering over. Right. And right. then we're talking about the breath of life, the spirit yep. that, that breathes life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that, wanted to dip into both creation accounts too, Genesis yeah. 1 and Genesis 2, 2. And that was on yeah. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. Um, what it immediately tickled me with is one of my favorite poems by way of introduction. There is a modernist poet from the 20th century named T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. He wrote, Arguably top three most important poems of the past probably 200 years. Um, yeah. Uh, Besides The Wasteland, what are the other two? Well, I mean, more, more than that, you have the uh, the the four, um, the four uh, it's a poetry term. Uh, what's the name of the type of poem? Um, I want to say the four quartets, but that's, a, that's mm. redundant. Do you want a Pringle? Not right now. Okay. Thank you. Um, they're like essentially like four ballads i'm forgetting their titles he wrote very little by the way he was like his editor publisher were constantly pressing him for more um he wrote Mm. and he's self-aware like in his letters and stuff he's like i write very little but what i do write will be what you expect and then he wrote a a poetry book about possums so like yeah more like it was interesting yeah um but anyway in the wasteland you have t.s Eliot. Um, taking a few perspectives over kind of five cantos or cantos um, and kind of portraying the dystopia of what he sees civilization becoming through a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. Overproduction. That's why he calls the wasteland. Exactly. But in the very beginning, in the first canto, you have Eliot. Um, the narrator seems to be, and, and scholarship seems to indicate this too, um, or some do, that the narrator is omnipotent. It's not a character in the story. It seems to be God or an omniscient being, so God. Right. Yeah. Um, and at the very beginning, there's language that um, your sermon and the breath, the spirit hovering over made me immediately think of Pentecost because... Well, you're big on Memento Mori. There's probably half our church knows yeah. about the poster. Yeah. Um, we're very we're very serious about being sensitive to our mortality. Right. Yeah. And there's a famous line that can be seen as a dreadful line in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. The line is, I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful lines of all time. It, like, bone-chilling. But in the context of the story, with the narrator maybe being God or an omniscient being... Um, 
it's not supposed to be necessarily a dreadful reminder. And is that how you read it at first? Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. My, my immediate yeah. reading was that this is like, look upon the waste you have created and wallow. Right. Um, but if we look at Genesis and the the breath of life, not that's line 30 in the poem um, is, I will show you fear in a handful of dust. And then he goes into some German um, but five lines before that, in the same in the same stanza, that, like he sets himself up for that because it isn't a dreadful line. Because in the very beginning, he's talking about the whole land being dead, like everything's gone, the plants are dead, even the tubers are dying. You know, the roots are gone. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and then in that stanza, where the the last line of the stanza is, "I will show you fear in a handful of dust," he says, "What are the roots that clutch? What are the branch?" What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? Son of man, you cannot say or guess, for you know only a heap of broken images where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief, and the dry stone no sound of water. Only there is a shadow under this red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock. Mm. So in so the there's context, a refuge in the wasteland. Yeah, exactly. So okay. in the very yeah. beginning of the story, as as Elliot is setting up this landscape of desolation, um, the the God figure who is speaking here, um, while certainly the the kind of the climax of of that stanza is the last line, "I will show you fear in a handful of dust." But it becomes less fearful when when the narrator just five lines prior to that is the land is bad come under this red rock. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but even in a handful of dust, as we're created in Genesis, you went through both Genesis accounts of creation. Thinking about dust, it's not dreadful or fearful to be to be um, dust because God put life into dust. Right. So he yeah, created ex yeah. nihilo, that means out of nothing. Right. So from or out of nothing. But then if we are made from dust, it was his breath that put life into us. Yes. His, his very breath, which say is the spirit, gave meaning to it. So the dust even, even in a wasteland where there is only dust, in my very Christian reading of kind of the pre-Pentecost Sunday, I was given a lot of hope because I was reminded mm. that God filled dust with so much life. Everything came from nothing. And then my existence and yours was just Mm. something you can pick up out of a fire and scatter to the winds. But God gave it so much more character, so Mm. much diversity, so much beauty just by breathing into it. I think that's just such a beautiful example of the way that God calls us to participate with the preaching of his word. You know, I just think it's like such a beautiful example of like, I just love when when preaching kind of operates like a ticking time bomb, you know, mm-hmm. like it it goes into your heart and like sometimes a couple days later on Wednesday, it just explodes in the morning. Or for you, it's kind of the inverse where you had this poem in your heart yeah. and uh, then underneath the light of the word of God, it's like it's like the poem was sanctified into your life. Or, yeah. Is that the really right is. way of maybe phrasing it? Yeah. And, and kind of like Dante, I'm really biased for Elliot. So he, like to say yeah. he's always close to on my mind is pretty true. Like Tolkien, Dante. <laughs> Elliot's another one who just kind of like haunts the back of my imagination. But it is like a really blessed thing when you have these just Goliath authors that you can be familiar with, but that God breathes new life into their work um, and claims even that portion, that like small corner of my imagination now has another like synapse connected back to God. I I think about it in yet another way, another facet of the gem through the lens of God's perfection. 
Mm-hmm. It's really fun. It's a it's a fun experience and a fun yeah. fun experiment to do. Um, I can't help it. In terms of authorial intent, so like uh, there's oh. a lot of theologians out there. And I think even one Bible interpreter who does interpret Genesis 1-1 as wasteland and uses the word wasteland. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of that is interpretive and what exactly you believe the formless and void creation is, sure, and sure. we don't need to get into that. I guess my question is, do you think that T.S. Eliot is consciously working with the Genesis story and bro yeah. decreation? Yeah. Um, so he's a, pol- he's a political and social poet he's very self-aware and Mm -hmm. situationally aware he's also extremely well read he's a polyglot um and he's famous for making connections through eons of language in 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 the wasteland he he shows fluency in german in latin in a hindi script he just goes like hard in the paint um maintaining meter in multiple languages in certain spots it's like wild so can I say with authority, I'm not a T.S. Eliot scholar. I've just read this poem a bunch of times and, you know, his own notes on it and then commentaries on it. But likely, yeah, man. Like, I mean, it would be so tight if if you weren't working with that. Like, it's just like there's so much, um, I don't know, like textual congruence between the wasteland and Genesis yeah. 1. I think I think his familiarity is is pretty high. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um think he does know Hebrew because he was trained in the classics. So yeah, he was yeah. classic classically language edu- educated. So ancient Hebrew, classical Greek and Koine Greek, Latin, probably Aramaic. So and then by his own studies, the Germanics and mm-hmm. some Sanskrit stuff. I don't know. I just love that moment of realization though that you had because you know for most people it's not going to be T. S. Eliot. No, but th- that's a beautiful example of the way that preaching should shape everything else. You know, like for most people, it's going to be a, a a moment from last week, or a moment in a different book, or um, yeah, a moment in a in a movie or a person in their life. But I just love that example of how, in the presence of the new temple of God, how things get brought in and. Uh, shaped by God's word and go out as gold. Well, well interesting you know, story and awkward segue. It's kind of like what we're going to be talking about Kind today. of, right? Yeah, that kind of bleeds nicely into into the conversations around around Pentecost. That's that practice if you will. In a lot of ways was God at Pentecost just exercising that practice upon humanity. Yeah. Just kind of a reclamation of tons of things. Just like so many things um, in culture historically that God is reclaiming and kind of recasting mm. within Pentecost in one moment. Mm. That's good, man. I'm excited to jump into this. I've got my my ten favorite types of uh, of Pentecost, and uh, what I what I hope is that uh, people walk away. I think most modern readers of Acts chapter two when they read the Pentecost story go, oh. That's cool. And then they keep reading. And instead, what I'd really love for people to see is 
Acts chapter 2 as this collage mm-hmm. of Old Testament patterns that are coming together and being fulfilled yes. in one fell swoop. It's like just a richness in the text. I really want to show us this with all these, these types. I absolutely love that. Just just a quick kind of question for you, because I, I be honest, I don't listen to the podcast all the time. I'm not a podcast listener. I never was. Um, people tell me, like, you got to listen to this one or this sure. one, and yeah. you're just not going to catch me. So... Um, does is frontier familiar when like when you say like types have 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 you like talked about like where you're pulling that kind of that hermeneutical move from like from lightheart have, have you shared yeah. the lightheart book at all so uh our our preaching team is familiar my mm-hmm. guess is that the rest of our church isn't familiar but you know this will make some sense so uh i i teach our preaching team what's called the theopolitan hermeneutic yep um Theo, right? God, Politan, city, city of God, hermeneutic. Um, some people refer to it as kind of the ancient fourfold hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, it it in, to get at the root of the text, it employs four different methods for interpreting the text. First, a um, a historical, um, literal reading of the text, which I think is the necessary starting point for it. That's when we get into like, original context, what's going mm-hmm. on, what's around it. Um, second, uh, a Christological interpretation. So how does this text point us to Jesus? How, how does Jesus fulfill this? Yes. How is this about Jesus? Um, people feel that every Sunday morning. Yes. Um, the third fold in it would just be a tropological, which is what does this text yeah. tell us to do? How does it inform the way that we live? And then, yeah. the, and then the fourth is, uh, is allegorical, yep. which is what shape or pattern does this fit into in the rest of the Bible? And so a typological understanding of a story looks at the shape or the pattern of the story and then sees how that shape and pattern is everywhere else in in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so some people in our tradition are kind of freaked out about typological interpretations. And, And that's because, you know, sometimes the church has skipped a literal interpretation, skipped a Christological interpretation, and just gone for an allegorical interpretation. Correct. And that freaks people out, right? right. But when it's with the fourfold interpretation, yes. I think it's a beautiful way to understand the text. And when they work in harmony and, you know, you're... In harmony, yeah. People, like you said, people skip the first three to get to the allegorical. A lot of the fear may come from, well, what about, you know, the Christological or the the simply the practical or the historical um mm-hmm. so kind of just to like the re- the reason i asked is just so that you could see in motion that we're not just going to be like imagining and like making stuff up i like how you use the term shape is that from lightheart does, does maybe probably probably like he's really, been so formative on me. yeah yes yeah. i mean same as he i think yeah. as he should be um but that that term shape is a very safe word it's a protective word yeah because it is both it is both definable but it 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 does have you know space it has boundaries mm-hmm. um but there is imagination there i'm sorry i just bumped the mic yeah and um people who are critical or maybe scared of a uh of a typological interpretation, they they have grounds for that. I I agree. I think that if we only choose one of each of the fourfold methods of interpretation, we commit an error. If if yes. all we do is a typological uh, interpretation, then we make the error of making the Bible out to be a mythological book. Yeah, code but, book. Yeah, but if all we do is a historical, literal interpretation, we also make the error of making the Bible nothing more than a closed history book. Yes. And, 
And if we all we do is a tropological interpretation where we tell people what to do, we make the error of making the Bible into nothing more than a rule book. And yeah. if all we do is a Christological interpretation, then we make the error of making the Bible into nothing more than a therapy book about how your guilt and conscience is gone. But when you apply all mm-hmm. four of those hermeneutics, what you do is I think you portray the word um, as the living word of God. Yeah, it becomes alive. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I mean, what we're excited to get into right. today. I wish you guys could see it. Maybe he'll still have this on Sunday if he does. <laughs> I don't think you're preaching on Sunday. You're not. Right? No, I can leave it up if people yeah. want to come see bug, it. Yeah. Bug Cole, if you want yeah. to see. He's he's big on whiteboard writing for his planning. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's kind of a blessing because it's like a peer behind the curtain to see how the mind works. And this one isn't, isn't extravagant by any means. Some of yours are no. pretty nuts, but yeah, this is are. a fun yeah. one. Yeah. But the reason I even brought up that question was because the whiteboard, I mean, we're going to be talking about that a little bit. So, yeah. 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 My obsession with whiteboard came from, uh, my, my church planning coach. Um, one time, one assignment he gave me, we were in the middle of a coffee shop and he was like, if, if, if you can't doodle your philosophy of ministry on a napkin, most people won't be able to see it or buy into it. So he made me do that on a napkin. That's really convicting. He was, and then he made me go share it with people in the coffee shop. He's like, go see if people find it compelling. Interesting. And uh, ever since that moment, the way my mind has worked is if I can't get this, if I can't illustrate this on a napkin, then I probably haven't done the hard work of stripping it down to its simplest but most effective components in a way that's visual for people. So like, I'm obsessed with whiteboards because of that. Yeah. You know that J.K. Rowling wrote a bunch of the Harry Potter texts on napkins and restaurants, right? Did that you, that no, recasts that. the entire writing process wow, of Harry yeah. Potter based on your narrative and that philosophy. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, huh. I'm uh, listening, speaking of podcast. No, I'm not going to go down that trail. But I am listening to uh, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Have you heard of this? Yes. It's fantastic. It is not for the faint of heart. Correct. Um, and I'm only a couple episodes in, so I don't know how bad it gets, but it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Nevertheless, let's do, <laughs> let's hit these, let's hit these yeah. types. I think that there's more than 10 types or patterns yeah. that uh, Pentecost fulfills, but I want to give us my favorite 10 and, uh, just kind of have fun and, you know, um, bring a richness to the minds of our church members that helps uh, Acts chapter 2 pop out in 3D. So yeah. let me just read the first four vor- verses of Acts 2 mm-hmm. first, and then I'll blast through these, and uh, I'll just kind of, I'll muse on each one, and then just kind of ask you to interpret me. Yeah. Does that sound good? I'll, I'll maybe try. just add to I, it. There's one that I probably want to add to, so yeah, we'll see. Okay, cool. There's some that we'll do I eleven. have efforts on. Yeah. Cool. Hit me. Okay, so here's Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost text. Carlos is going to preach on this. On Sunday, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At one level, it's just a cool story. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. At another level. At 10 minimum levels. 
bro. It's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's so it's so wild. My favorite ten types of Pentecost. We're gonna start with my first and probably the one that blew my mind the most a couple of years ago when I first started to see the Bible this way. Type number one: Pentecost is the new temple. So. In, uh, in the Old Testament, um, when they built the temple and when they built the tabernacle, it was this huge moment where they were building a house where the God of heaven yeah. would dwell on earth with them. And yeah. when they concluded the building of that temple, the fire of the glory of God descends from heaven and it fills the temple yeah. as evidence that that's where God's dwelling now. Yes. So Pentecost is a new temple scene. You see fire falling from heaven. Loud Here's wind. the loud wind. Here's the big plot twist. It doesn't fill, it doesn't just fill a house. It fills people. People. So Paul picks up on this and he's like, yeah. hey, you're the new temple. Yeah. It's it's it, it's it's like so cool. Bro. Especially like so like when, when you talk about like the type as Pentecost as the new temple, the personhood of the temple, like man become temple made right with God. Mm-hmm. It's so cool that you see this forecasted in in the in the major and minor prophets. Yes, talk in, a little bit in about multiple that. Yeah. prophets. Uh, you have Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel. Um, I think no, nah, I, I won't say the other one because I don't want to um, misspeak. Um, but in those four, you have various instances where God says, "And I will put my Spirit into you. You right. will be my yeah. people, and I will be your God." And so. And so we even see the forecast of Pentecost, but then in light of of it being the new temple, to the Jewish mind, putting my spirit in you, the language putting spirit into you is prophetic. We know that in the New Testament, people are empowered by the spirit. Anointed. Anointed. But but the the residence of the spirit was was the tabernacle and temple. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like it was it was a physical location that had to be built and maintained, coveted, protected, right, brought back, rebuilt, and then or a king. Yeah. Or a priest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and then in the forecast of the prophets, um, that language, I will put my spirit in you, which to the Jewish mind, when they think of put my spirit anywhere, they think of the building of the temple and the exactly. rushing of the winds and the fire coming down. Yep. And then here you see it fulfilled. You see, you see, the temple is 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 essentially finished, and it's gosh, it's man, person. It's the it's the reunification of of God and creation. Yep, it, you are now the place on earth where God dwells. <laughs> which, which, in in like a crazy way, if you think about the first four centuries post post death burial, birth, death, burial, resurrection. Oh man, um, the success of the Christian church, the temple could not move. And then you have you have Christ coming, redeeming mankind, Pentecost happening, the church or the temple, God's spirit um, through man becomes mobile. It's no longer isolated to a temple in Jerusalem. And, you know, like mm-hmm. come to me, the, the temple is mobile. And, and you see the, the reclamation of creation as a, as a byproduct of of the, the Pentecost being the new temple. Like yeah. literally this, the, yeah. the, the it's like virulent. It, it's like if this, if, if the numbers were portrayed in any other instance, other than like faith spreading, it would be considered like a contamination process. Mm. Like the, the, like even in acts, yeah. like just like, and then another 8,000. And it's just like, that's like, in like the first, like, like year 
after Pentecost. It's going to grow just, like a mustard seed. It just sweeps Jesus over said. the lands, yeah. despite death and persecution. It's just like, to the point where it becomes the, 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 the state or world religion. Yeah. Woo! Okay, there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's crazy though. I mean, it, they're like if there, but if there is no Pentecost, there is no power. Like if there is yeah. no Pentecost, there's no the last two thousand years of history. Yeah, like there's really no other logical, rational explanation yeah. for the spread of Christianity besides Holy Spirit must be real. Yeah, and even Christ foretells it. He says how much greater, you know. Yeah, your works will be. Yeah, yeah. And then we have that'd such make a, a great podcast. We have such an awesome vantage point because we're like two thousand years in the future, and I know it's common to be like cynical about history, but like you can just like look carefully, and even not carefully, and just see the victory of Christ repeated over and over mm, again. Yeah, maybe even soon here. Um, type number two that actually lends itself really well to number two um pentecost as the reversal of babel this is my favorite one on your list oh great so yeah it's my favorite one you know obviously genesis 11 big moment Um, they're supposed to go out and fill the earth with the glory of god instead they're like they throw a big middle finger to god they're like nope we're gonna stay right here and we're gonna build a tower Mm -hmm. for our own namesake that stretches to heaven yes and then god scatters them, gives them uh, different languages so that they can't understand one another, and scatters them all over the face of the earth. Yep. And so what happens in Pentecost is the reversal of that, yeah. where during Pentecost, um, all the nations of the ancient world would have been traveling back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So you have all the nations coming back together. But this time, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven, not in judgment, but in grace, and gives them tongues, not to Mm -hmm. divide them, but so that they can understand one another. And then they end up going back out into the earth to fill it with the glory of God. So it's, they build the church, which is the anti-Babel. Yes. And then, I mean, we even think back to Luke's sermon earlier this year. Remember, he he preached on Babel. Yeah. Uh, did a great job. Too. It was earlier this year or late last year. I think it was actually Pentecost last year. Was it actually? Oh my god! I gosh. think it, it was. It was a full year ago. Okay, yeah. so Luke's sermon, he brings up another thing about Babel. It's not just the language, it's the connection. So there's scholarship stating that, yes, the language is confounded. They're not denying that, but it's the language of connection too. So not only does physical language or spoken language create unity, but um, it difference in language also creates physical segregation um it it will inherently create tribalism if you can't understand each other mm-hmm. um and so not only by them speaking in tongues is it a reversal of babel in that way but but it's a reversal of babel in that deeper than the language because of the spirit indwelling the believer there is universal and perfect unity with god Right. Yeah. Regardless of nation, regardless of tongue or creed, or well, not of creed, but of tongue of of physical location. Yep. Um. It's it's both. It's both the the reversal of of the confounding of languages, but it's also the reversal of the confounding of of um disparaged humanity. There is unity within humanity in Christ. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in in a way that there hadn't been since Babel. 
and yeah, that's, that's and I think, awesome. Again, yeah. another we have the beautiful two thousand year thing. Sure, we might have a lot yeah. of infighting. We might bicker with different denominations, but it is like crazy to think that even though the denomination might be different, I could I could just take a vacation to Mexico City tomorrow, which many of you know I would never be able to do. <laughs> but you could. I could. And you know what I could do for Pentecost? I could go to a church in Mexico in another language and I could be familiar. Right. Like even if it was a Catholic service, sure I have a Catholic background. I know I'm a little more familiar, but like I could I could go there and I could have unity even where there is disunity of language, I could have unity of spirit in the participation of the mass. Mm-hmm. Not because I was raised Catholic, but because I am a believer and I am welcome there and our and in the spirit indwelling me is the same spirit that yeah. indwells the faithful there. That's beautiful. Isn't that crazy? That's the undoing of of Babel. It, it, completely, the undoing. Even when language isn't present, even if I don't yeah. know Spanish, I am I'm welcome there, and I and I profit in that unity. Even if there is theological discrepancy, I profit in that unity that God has redeemed us under a singular banner and put His Spirit in us. He's yeah, reversed Babel yeah. in every imaginable way. Mm, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, that brings us to type number three. Uh, Pentecost as the new grain offering. So, so this is one you hit me with on Sunday. Oh, that's right. I did. I, I need like you to break it down for me again. But okay. also like yeah. listener, listen up. Cause this was new to me. This is kind of dope. This, yeah. This is a great just object lesson on how to read, uh, the old Testament's relationship to the new Testament. So my kids are like super into coloring books, obviously. Um, but it's cool how when you buy the coloring book, what you get is the outline and then the kids are responsible for filling it in with color. Yep. And uh, a lot of times people look at the New Testament and they're like, oh, God's doing this different thing. It's like, no, it's not different. It's new. It's a new covenant. But it's not new in the sense that it, God's going a different direction now. It's sure. new in the sense that everything God does in the New Testament is essentially a coloring in of the outline of the Old Testament. Mm. So think about the festivals in the Old Testament as an outline. There were more than two, but I'll give you the two that are important for Pentecost. Um, The first is, um, why am I blanking? This is like the Passover, the biggest Mm. feast in Jewish history. So uh, Passover was obviously when they celebrated Passover, which is when they slit the throat of a lamb without blemish and mm-hmm. covered their doorways with it and God passed over uh, those doorways and didn't show wrath on them. Correct. And um, seven weeks later, or about 50 days later, later they would celebrate Pentecost. Well, yep. the Greek word uh, was Pentecost. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is they just used festival of, of weeks. Yep. And that was a grain offering. So mm-hmm. 50 days um, in order to show gratitude for Passover, 50 days later, um, they would travel to the temple and uh, they would bring their best grain offering with them and they would put it on the altar and light it on fire and it would make a pleasing aroma to God. Jesus fills in both of those events with yeah. his crucifixion and uh, and Pentecost. So, And on the day of Passover, Jesus ordains himself to be crucified. So while Jewish men mm-hmm. all over the world, ancient world, are slitting the throats of the lamb without blemish, mm-hmm. Jesus is sitting there on the cross, yeah. bleeding as the lamb without oh, yeah. blemish Perfect. to take away our sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 50 days later, 
as everybody would have been traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost with their grain offerings that they were putting on the altar and lighting on fire as an offering to God. Yeah. When they were lighting that grain offering on fire, what was Jesus doing? He was lighting his grain offering on fire. Yeah. But when he sends the fire down, it doesn't land on the grain. It lands on us. And yeah. we become the pleasing aroma to God. We become the grain offering. Yeah. Is it so when you read Pentecost in light of that, it's like, whoa. Okay, so this is an imaginary question. Uh Pastor Cole and I are both you well, you guys know I'm a fiction nerd. Cole is also a fiction nerd. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, sometimes a good gift to give him is a good piece of old literary fiction. Uh he loves Wendell mm-hmm. Berry, if you don't know that. Yes, um, I do. I'll evangelize about him. But to participate in a fictitious kind of experiment. Yeah. Um, just for my fun, because we don't have any real way of knowing. Do you think the apostles realize this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, like during or after? Like maybe not in the moment, but like let's give them like a three-week window or margin for them yeah. to think about it. Like maybe John would figure it out or Matthew would figure it out a little earlier than others. So I, I do think that's exactly what Paul is working from. Where okay. Like you look at Romans 12 and he yeah. talks about how your life – is to be lived as a living sacrifice. I do think he's looking back at so Pentecost. at least Paul. But then you yeah. have to assume that you know it's becoming familiar. If Paul's going to write about it to one of the farthest away churches, yeah, um, that even if he's penning it, probably the the perception of that moment there's some correlation. You think? I I think so. And sure, th- sure. Getting that is actually kind of key because. When Paul talks about us as living sacrifices, it's important to know that we are not the Passover sacrifice. We cannot give our lives as a sacrificial offering to take away sins. Right, right. Jesus. We are the Pentecost offering, though. We can give our lives as a sacrifice, um, as a pleasing aroma to God, which is what Paul talks about in Romans 12. So I do think he's working with... Acts two as a as a framework for Romans. That has like so many crazy layers, bro. Does, does I that like I, make you like want to go back to those Roman sermons? You're just yes, like pining for yes, that. Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. And yeah. I do think we'll get. Well, let's just jump into another one then. So <laughs> hit us with. I think he's one. working with it in Romans eight too. Yeah. So let me jump down to uh, what is this number four? But I'm gonna do this one. Okay. So yeah. Think of Pentecost as the new covenant. Yeah. So in uh, in the Old Testament covenant. You have uh, you have Moses, the prophet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who goes up on Mount Sinai for the people of God, ascends yes. to God's throne, and he comes back down and gives them the law. Yep. In Pentecost, you have Jesus, the truer and better Moses and prophet, who yep. ascends to the throne at the right hand of God mm-hmm. and sends down not the law, but the Spirit. Yes. And I think that's why Paul in Romans 8, talks about law and spirit in contrast with one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I think that, yeah. So I think that it's yeah. it's a new Moses moment in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost where the new Moses is sending down not the law, but he's sending down the spirit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so... Oh, and this so, is nuts. Again, because we're a covenantal theology church, um, right. we're specifically talking, he said Moses, but the, the Mosaic covenant, um, to all you Bible nerds out there, are going to get particular, well, which covenant? Well, right now, the one we're talking about is the Mosaic covenant. The eternal type. covenant, bro. Yeah. The, you know, <laughs> like literally you have the image in, in Hebrews, the better Moses. You have him in, 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 in Romans. You have right. Moses ascending. 
Um, and he comes back down with the law and his face is explosive, essentially. He's flashbanging people. It's like just like people can't see straight. Right. Um, right. And then in Pentecost, it's also crazy, like the the presence of God because of, of Christ's work. Um, it's it's almost like it's the the presence is no longer a crushing presence. Exactly. Because of Christ's work. So it's all it's almost like without Christ, if Pentecost happens, it is this blinding event. Kind of like when the mm-hmm. temple is filled with are filled with fire. That's a that's it's not that it is a bad thing, but it is a terrible thing. Right. Terrible in like the more classic sense. It's it, it's dread. I mean it's awe inspiring, but it is dreadful. Fire and yes. wind from heaven. Right. You're terrified. Right. Terrified, but I mean, it is not terrifying in the same way at Pentecost because of the sacrificial lamb because of Christ's work. Dude, that, so that lends itself perfectly, again, to the fifth type, which is really tight in conjunction with uh, Pentecost's new covenant. But the fifth type is Pentecost is the new Sinai. Yeah. It's the new Sinai moment where yeah. God is making for himself a people. At Sinai, he does that. Yep. Right, with the law, like yep. I said, but by coming down to dwell with them in fire on the mountain to make a covenant with them. Yes. But now... God comes down again in fiery tongues, but yes. fills them with the Spirit to make them His His people. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is working with when he says, "As a believer in Christ, you no longer come to Mount Sinai, right? Where right. the law and you're filled with terror and dread, and even the angels couldn't bear it." You know, yeah. he says, "Now you come to Mount Z- Mount Mount, uh, Mount Zion, where." The angels are psyched you're there. There's a party. There's exuberant yeah. fanfare and yeah. joy. Yeah. So it's a new Sinai. Yeah. It, it's it's like completely restructured for for the participant because of Christ's work to be in relationship with God. How Pentecost right. is like the the fulfillment of of that promise. Here is a relationship. Oh, you don't believe me? Here is my literal spirit housed in you. Yeah, man. When you cross the threshold of life. It will be that that is your marker, like your proof, your confirmation of of faith that Christ died, that you have confessed. You know, I'm gonna put me in you. Mm. There is no more fear. If you awesome. think this contract yeah. will be void, I will never leave. Here's your proof. Yeah. Oh, that's great, dude. Type Which, numbers. I mean, talking about coming to Zion. Talk about yeah. awkward transli- transitions. He's talking about the jubilation of angels. So let's talk about, uh, let's look at number six on this list. Yeah, Pentecost as the new jubilee. So again, I know I said this on Sunday, but Pentecost comes from the word that means 50 days. Yes. So um, that's really key to understanding like what's going on, right? It refers to the 50 days between mm-hmm. Jesus' crucifixion and... Uh, his sending of the spirit, but that 50 days pattern is super big. So one that's really big, especially in relationship to Pentecost is Jubilee. Yes. The old Testament commandment and practice of, uh, after 50 years, every 50 years, slave owners are supposed to set their slaves free Mm -hmm. and, uh, land is supposed to be returned to the original owners. Yes. You see both of those things happening at Pentecost. Yeah. So after 50 years in Pentecost, but in, in uh, or sorry, in the Old Testament of Jubilee, but after 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, there's the new Jubilee where Jesus releases slaves yeah. from the slave owner of sin by giving them the spirit. Yes. 
I think that's where Paul's getting his ideas of like, because of the Spirit, we're no longer slaves to sin. Right. But we belong to God because yeah. this is the new jubilee. Yes. Right. And, and the land too is and, the and, promised land too. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to be. And then they go out to claim their land after that. Right. Yeah. Back to the nations. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are no boundaries now, especially because if we look back at the first one, the new temple, if the temple is mobile. Mm-hmm. Every land is available, and yeah. not for like a militant reclamation. And it's not that; it's for the the releasing of lands, if you will, from their bondage. Right. The, the literally that the Zion that the pagan can come. Yeah. The unbeliever can come now. Dude, and like, what does Paul say in Romans eight about the land? Like, even the land itself is aching and yeah. groaning for God to come set it free from. It's slavery. Interesting, interesting sidebar. The the language used there in the Greek is actually uh, this is more for the women there uh, or here listening. But the language used there is the is the same or language that is generally used for childbirthing, the groaning mm-hmm. and the aching. Like the world is literally pregnant in anticipation. Yeah, it's pregnant in anticipation. Right, ready to give birth to the new creation. Yes. Amazing, so man. finding the feminine in Romans, one of the most beautiful things right there in the imagery. It's the language itself yeah. is the, the hope of, of child rearing, of birthing. There's so much hope there, even in the pain. This is really cool. And I guess, you know, when you start to see the Bible typologically, which should be informed by your literal reading of the text. But, Correct. But when you start to see it typologically, all of a sudden you start to see it at multiple angles. You're like, oh, this is like a, Acts 2 is about the temple. And it is. It's yeah. also about Babel. Oh, but it's also about grain offerings. But it's also about Mount Sinai. And it's also about Jubilee. And so what texts become is they become diamonds that you can rotate. And it's one singular yes. diamond, but it has all these different sides to it. And when you turn it, the light comes through it at a little different angle. And that's how every biblical text should operate. It's just Acts chapter 2 happens to be that to the end. It's degree. pretty loaded. <laughs> It, it even goes back to like yeah. what you let me share in the beginning with the wasteland. That that practice um, of of hearing about God in sermon, in literature, wherever. But the the human ability by the power of the Spirit to function in relation and correlation is is such a magnificent gift. Um, thinking thinking like that. Seen. I mean, two years ago, I gave um, my homily on. Um, uh, the joy of the mind, and it was a homily oh, about yeah, mental illness. But the yeah. but the joy is the ability that, despite frailty, to think and wonder about God. Well, I've developed it through literature more, but I, I think really the 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 hope is that in in typological thinking, again within within right boundaries, without denying history or denying the works of Christ, making stuff up, right, um, yeah. rewording text, stuff like that. That's cheating. That's not doing it right. But when when doing it, you have the opportunity in this in this kind of mode of thinking, like we're um, we're kind of employing right now. It makes the world more vibrant. But also, when you're reading scripture, yeah, does. if you read like this, you have an opportunity to see the many layers of an infinitely faceted diamond, a gem with infinite folds and cuts that light refracts and pierces beautifully. Right. Um, every time you turn it, it's new, but it's perfectly uniform. 
um, you have that opportunity within creation to employ that in your life. That's like like one of the beauties of stopping and smelling a flower. Like it's not just that the aroma is beautiful or that the colors are vibrant. It's you have within your created ability the the ability to relate, correlate, think, and wonder about God. And that's essentially what we're doing in this. We're just doing it inter- intertextually. But right, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, man. Yeah. So the the seventh one is kind of a fun one too. So oh, you brought out a book for this. You've got yeah, you've got an equation yeah. on the page, guys. You can't see this. He's got Pe- like a little <laughs> a little logarithmic <laughs> equation here. Pentecost as the new harvest day. So I didn't see this until last week. I was reading Pentecost by Emilio Alvarez, and uh, he's talking about Matthew nine, where Jesus says, "Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." And Alvarez says. I've always asked myself why Jesus didn't tell his disciples that they were the laborers to go and reap the harvest now. And the answer is that the disciples had not yet been filled with the power to be the harvesters. Mm -hmm. And so then he connects it to harvest. So, you know, in ancient Israel, they would, when they would do a wheat harvest, they would plant the harvest and they'd have to wait. Guess how long? 50 days for the harvest to completely come in. And uh, in the same way, the disciples have to wait 50 days and then they're filled with the Spirit, and then they go back to their nations to be witnesses to God, essentially reaping the new harvest. <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Uh, you you want me to get this book. Um, I'm, I'm going to be ordering good, it with yeah. my next paycheck. Is it a book that everybody you think should have? Especially, like, like let's say we're going to celebrate pentecost liturgically you know yeah no i don't think i i don't think so i mean i i like it a lot um it i bought it less for theology about pentecost Mm -hmm. but there's some good stuff in there sure and more about uh like prayers traditions and energy and it's and it's rich with that awesome so yeah i know it's it you know it's only like 110 pages so it is a pretty quick read so Mm -hmm. maybe I'd, i'd suggest it to everybody yeah so, I mean, yeah. I was just curious. I'm not trying to get people yeah. to buy books. I mean, buy, guys buy books, but like maybe yeah. not this one. I was just curious. Say it's good though. Yeah, sweet, sweet. So, so that is that is the harvest. The, yeah, it was new to it me. Takes I didn't 50 see days before. for wheat to um, come fully so, in. Yeah, to come. So 50 days, the 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 um, tillers or not the tillers, but the the threshers will go out and thresh mm-hmm. the wheat, and then you get into like the whole like the fire threshing. You know the yeah. The, uh, oh and there's a linguistic connection too to acts chapter two what do you mean um acts chapter two okay uh verse one okay when the day of pentecost fully arrived so that it come in fullness so you don't send the you don't send the harvesters out at on the 42nd day yeah 45th well there's some wait till the 50th yeah so they're like jesus was strategically waiting for the fullness of the harvest when everybody from every nation came back. And then he sends them out after 50 days to go reap the harvest. It's so cool, man. Yes, yeah. That is... That is dynamite. I'd never thought of that. I'd never thought of this next one either. So oh, yeah. Pentecost is the new burning bush. So yeah. um, this is the eighth type. So when when God reveals himself in Exodus, um, he, he does so in an ever-increasing way, in an ever-increasing clarifying way. So mm-hmm. we've already talked about how he reveals himself on Mount Sinai. Fiery glory comes from heaven, fills the temple. Yep. Before that, 
Um, and in relationship to that, God reveals himself to Moses as the burning bush. Yep. And uh, one of the things that freaks Moses out is the angel of the Lord is in mm-hmm. the, the fiery bush. I believe that's Jesus. And people can disagree with me on that. I, I believe that the angel of Yahweh is Yahweh and Jesus incarnate. Um, but so there's the angel of the Lord speaking to him from the fiery bush. Yep. But he notes that even though this bush is on fire, it's not being consumed. consumed. The word consumed, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is is the fire yeah. where the angel of the Lord dwells in us now. Mm-hmm. Christ dwells in us. We're the new burning bush yeah. where the fire comes and it doesn't destroy us. Correct. It Which, doesn't consume us just like the burning bush. Right, right. Pr- prior to, prior to, um, prior to the death, burial, and resurrection after the incarnation, a direct encounter with God in any form, a physical encounter usually did mean death. I mean, if you touched the tabernacle wrong, you like exploded. Yes. Like you accidentally bumped the, 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 um, the ark, bam, boom, done. The Gandhi. Yeah. Like, I mean, the high priest had to go through like litanies, rituals to even just like enter into the presence. Right. And so there is a lot to be said about the the not being consumed that that type yes. of the burning bush that we are inhabited by God to our profit and not to our destruction. Yeah, dude, it's it's amazing. The the atonement that Jesus accomplished on the cross for those who believe in him was so sufficient that without any ritual cleansing whatsoever, the God himself can come dwell on earth where he's always desired to, not in a bush anymore, but in us. And it's not just an absolutely annihilistic experience. Right. It does not destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yep. It destroys the old man. Yeah. Right, but... Yeah. That's so cool. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that's isn't so that sweet? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, type number nine is uh, Pentecost as the new Isaiah Cole. So Isaiah has the moment where he's at the throne of God. Yep. And... Um, it, it's this amazing uh, seraphim are present, right? He only sees the lower half of the king on throne, on the king, or on the throne, um, and uh, he freaks out. But a burning coal comes from heaven, mm-hmm. and like the burning bush, it doesn't consume him. Right, right. He's freaked out that it's going to destroy him, but the angel puts it on his lips, and it purifies his speech. Yep. The same way that the Holy Spirit purifies our speech gives us tongues and new languages Mm -hmm. and sends us out as witnesses, which is exactly how Isaiah has to go back out as a witness to what he saw. Yes. So it's like this new moment where the burning coal doesn't just touch Isaiah's lips. It touches all of our lips as believers. Yeah. I think, I think there's something there because we actually talked about this when we talked about the meaning of gospel. Um, Just a little, a little sensitive to like, if you look at Isaiah, well, he gets obliterated in the end, right? Right. Um, a lot of the apostles get annihilated yep. uh, in very unfortunate manners. Some in cooler ways of poor demise. I think of Peter who requests to be crucified upside down because he's not worthy enough to be crucified as Christ, which is just absolutely metal in my in my book. He's like, I'm not even <laughs> yeah. good enough, dude. You can just like turn me around. So punk. Yeah, he's just he's just like he's too that's too glorious for me. Right. Um the 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 like the most evil or wicked like the sinner's death 
he's like, that's too good for me because that's right. how Christ went out. That's so that's so punk. It's so cool. Anyway, it's, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, there's like this temptation if we don't see the gospel. Remember what we said about how it's a it's a military proclamation. It's already successful. Like we could look at Isaiah and be like, well, he's given that he's purified, but then his speech, he still gets killed. He, he, like yeah. Like, so he wasn't successful, or maybe you're in your own life, um, kind of a, an approach to this, this type, the new coal, um, the new purification of speech, like, don't see it as necessarily like it's a pass or fail on, on what you say. It's, it's already that the victory has been won. Right. So yeah. all you're doing is proclaiming. It's yeah. not like a like let me prove to you or or now I must figure out why it is victory. That wasn't the courier, that wasn't the herald's job. The the herald wasn't there to give all of the details and the political like okay, well this land seeds here goes here. It was the herald's job to say we won. Mhm. And that's that's the coal. That's you know, that's, that's Isaiah's right. coal, the purification, the proclamation the calling, the shouting isn't isn't some like drivelous argument. It's that it's I already agree. done. Yeah. That's like you're the herald of the gospel. Then the herald is he did it. Not yep. we did it in this case, but he did it. That's is that it. the right hand of God enthroned? Yeah. The coronation already happened. Yeah, we're already I mean it's already like victory's at hand. Yeah. Like we're again back to the new jubilee. <laughs> like right? back to the celebration. Say, hey, Jesus won. He's the king of the cosmos. I don't care what you think about that. Do you want to join? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right? And uh that's great. And that brings us to our tenth type, which is Pentecost as the new creation. Um which I'm going to let Carlos preach on. He's preaching Sunday. on that this Sunday, right? Yes, we'll yeah. leave that one alone. Yeah, we'll leave that one alone. Yeah, yeah. So I focused on the spirit hovering over creation in Genesis 1. Yeah. Pentecost 2 is about the spirit hovering over. Yeah. You just want it. So well, I know. Well, I know. I want to take a swing at the meatball, but I'll let Carlos <laughs> uh, yeah, swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else to say about Pentecost, man? I'm psyched. Um, I, We're as, red. As far as, um, uh, like liturgy goes, I actually didn't prepare this one for this week for the house churches. I'll be preparing the one on Sunday, but um, Carlos actually grabbed a, uh, a liturgical prayer from the Catholic Church, and it is dynamite. It is so cool. So I'm looking forward to y'all experiencing mm. that. I've been praying through it since Carlos shared. There's been a few changes. There's been some language changes. Cool. Um, but it's dynamite. Um, yeah, as we talk about these, and maybe you're you're rethinking some of these old stories that you've read. Um, I guess the encouragement of both this thinking and of Pentecost is newness. Like there is yep. just newness, both newness right. in vision, but newness in history too. That's the typological thinking is it's not just newness and forward thinking. It's newness and past thinking. Yep. So you so, see T.S. Eliot's poem differently now. Yes. So I, I'd say um, Pentecost, after Pentecost, the, the liturgical calendar, the next season, which we don't really, quote, celebrate it, but there's a term for it, it's ordinary time. That's the time mm -hmm. where the church, that is the time where 
It's the focus on you. It's the focus on disciplines. It's the season of, of, of self-awareness. So as yep. we energize with Pentecost, historical newness, prophetic newness, creation's newness, and newness in forward motion too from Pentecost those many years ago, um, I would say be praying as a church for, for that charge, that, that, that intellectual, that emotional, um, and that physical awareness of those newnesses that Christ accomplished and was enacted in Pentecost. Yep. As you move into this next liturgical season where we are going to be going through Mark, but um, just between Advent and Pentecost, where we are working on ourselves, sensitive to disciplines, be thinking of that newness. Yeah, that's what I that's got great. for you as a liturgical deacon. I love it. I, I don't. Yeah, there's no better way to end our podcast than that. So happy Pentecost, and I can't wait to see you guys Sunday. Love you guys. Love you guys.